tonight. We're going to be in 1 Samuel 7. And we saw in 1 Samuel 6 that the, and we've seen over the last few chapters, um, children of Israel had this not very good idea to bring the Ark of the Covenant into battle with them. They lose the battle. The Philistines take it. The Philistines sin with the Ark. Gets back to Israel. The Israelites sin with the Ark. So here's the Ark. Um, somebody gave this to me. I think my wife bought it for me. This is kind of a, a representation since we've been talking about the ark so much, for those of you who are listening on the CD and the internet, I'm sorry you can't get a visual aid here, but you see the, uh, you had to be from the Levitical uh, line, and uh, the men carried these poles. This is kind of neat, this little figurine. The poles move and the, the ark can move too, but they weren't supposed to grab the ark. The ark had these little sockets or loops that the uh, poles went through, and they weren't supposed to touch it. As we go Further through the book, you know, the uh, historical books, we'll see that Uzzah and Ohio uh, transported improperly, and one of the guys touched that he was struck down dead. So you can get at least a good idea of, by looking at this figurine, what the ark is like. Now, this is, again, the artist's rendition of the two cherubim that were fashioned on the, the mercy seat. And this thing was really, it doesn't do it on my figurine, but it's a cover that came off. And it would be, depending on what time it was in Israel's history, it would be the Ten Commandments, Aaron, Aaron's rod that budded, and also the golden pot of manna. <clears throat> and God said this would be in the Holy of Holies, this, this um, piece of furniture, so to speak, and God's actual presence would be in there. So when the high priest would go in there, he would see, he must have been there in fear and trembling. And over the years, they put like a belt around the high priest, and he had bells on his robe. And if they heard the jingling stop, then that was a problem. Could have been a problem with the man, could have been a problem with the offerings of the Israelites, and um, if the bells didn't ding-a-ling-a-ling for a while, they would end up pulling, pulling him out because they couldn't just go in there and get him. So you see how serious God is about revering him. And I think sometimes in our society, even in our church culture, um, there's a it's not there so much, and we need to get back to that. But let me start with verse 1, First uh, Samuel 7, verse 1. Then the men of Kirjath-Jerim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. So it was that the ark remained in Kirjath-Jerim a long time. It was there 20 years, and the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So it goes uh, to Kirjath-Jerim from Beth Shemesh, which was also in Israel, and Eleazar is especially consecrated to guard the ark, so to speak. And if we get close to God, we need to be consecrated. It's like just really a form of being set apart. You know, we try to look more and more like Christ and less and less like the world as time goes on. But sadly, the ark went from, and we saw previously, a point of curiosity to be forgotten about. And it wasn't until 20 years had passed that the children of Israel were ripe for revival and repentance. Uh, and you see that, the extremes. The devil loves to live in the, the extremes. Uh, one extreme is to just be so pally, chummy with God that he's disrespected, the reverence is lost. And then the other extreme is where he's completely forgotten about. It says that all Israel lamented after the Lord. Maybe they missed him. The New Living, and I like to sometimes look at different translations to just get a flavor of 
some of these words here, but the New Living Bible says, quote, the Lord seemingly abandoned them, but in reality, they abandoned the Lord. You know, they were looking at it from their sinful perspective, God's forgotten about us. They lamented after him, but, you know, they even had to be told to, to throw away their idols, even while they were lamenting. The nation became so depraved and corrupted and unfulfilled that they finally realized again that we need to lament after the Lord. He is the only way. And you see so many revivals, even in, uh, you know, I'm, I only know the Western European culture because I've never lived among other cultures and, you know, lived their history. But you see this every so many years as a revival because man is unfulfilled without the Lord. And he gets, pro- he prospers. And he thinks, well, you know, I could do it myself. You know, I could make myself happy. I could fill, fulfill my own dreams. And you see these, these stages that a nation can go through, one, prosperity. But prosperity in its extreme can lead to depravity. You know, there's every vice that you could imagine, every, every pleasure under the sun, and then we sink to a new low. And then sometimes after depravity, there's a humility, there's a humbling. And then the, the next stage is a revival. And then when God lifts us out of the slums of our depravity and we turn to the Lord, sometimes there's that prosperity that gets built up again. And it's just the same replay over and over again in these cycles. We see it with uh, American culture. We've seen it with the children of Israel. It's no different. Verse 3. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your hearts... Then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths from among you and prepare your hearts for the Lord and serve him only. And he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtoreths and serve the Lord only. And Samuel said, gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered together at Mizpah, drew water, poured it out before the Lord. And they fasted that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel at Mizpah. <clears throat> so we look at this revival. Israel once again returns to the Lord. And Samuel was that guiding, that, that lightning rod for that cause. And it does appear that Samuel waited a while. He was there in Israel and the 20 years had passed. But he allowed them to be humbled before he really stepped into the picture. And, you know, there are some times what it could be ourselves, it could be somebody we're witnessing to, that it's going to take a humbling before they really get the picture. Um, and, again, we, we can see it in our own lives if we've lim- lived long enough, even as a believer, that the Lord allows us to uh, be humbled. And then we say, okay, Lord, I, I got it. You got my attention. <laughs> what is it that you want to say to me? Uh, and it's no different with others. Um, you're trying to help somebody and, to get, the, to get right with the Lord, and they don't want to hear it until they're, they've hit rock bottom, and then they call you and say, I really need prayer. I really need to talk to you. But he says, if, if you return with all your heart then, this was something where he was saying, listen, go all the way. It isn't going to work piecemeal. Sometimes we make deals, you know, the Bible has a good plan, but, you know, I can tweak that a little bit. My situation's different, you know. I'm, you know I know what the Bible says, but... You know, God understands where I'm at. And it's a self-deception. We try to tweak his plan. Samuel is saying, go all the way. He says, to prepare your hearts for the Lord. 
You know, this goes with our message on John the Baptist, and even when we, we read in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus started you know, preaching repentance. We forget that. We think that's just John the Baptist. When Jesus started his ministry, he preached repentance. Destroying their gods, confessing their sins is a form of repentance. Fasting and mourning. What does God look for in a heart? Well, if we look at Psalm 51, 17, it says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. We see that in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus starts out the first things, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And we covered what that meant. We don't just add Jesus to the cluttered mess of our life. There's repentance has to really start to clean us out so that we can be emptied of ourselves and start to be filled with him. The Lord will move, but it's on his terms. And we get frustrated when we try to do it our way. We get frustrated when we try to do it halfway, and we don't understand why the Lord's not moving, because he's going to do it on his terms. You know, He's not going to waste a good opportunity for repentance. You know, If we're repenting, he's like, you've got to be empty. Uh, if I'm going to fill you, you've got to empty yourself out. There's still some gook in there. You know, clean it out. Turn it upside down. Sometimes we feel like we're being turned upside down. But verse 4, just uh, who, who is Baal and who's Ashtoreth? Well, Baal was a pagan Canaanite storm god. And uh, there's a lot of pictures of him and uh, definitely drawings, artifacts from you know, thousands of years ago with him holding what appears to be a lightning bolt. Uh, Ashtoreth is a fertility goddess and uh, if you're talking about your farm, you're talking about having children, and um, unfortunately, if you think about having children, a lot of the Ashtoreth worship acquiesced into uh, lasciviousness and sexual immorality. So these were the two gods that, you know, all the gods had to be put away, but those were the two ones that the children of Israel had left the true God for to serve. And, you know, I just see this as hedging their bets. What they do is, well, you know, we are the children of Israel, and God is, is great, but, you know, the Canaanites over there seem to be doing pretty good. You know, they got a good crop. Look at that wheat. That's a bumper crop over there. So they, they have God, and then they have their other little idols, and they just figure with enough, you know, putting their, their money on different spots that it'll be, it'll be well for them, and God's like, no way. Serve the Lord only. He's the only one that he's going to allow us to rely on if he's going to move. Sometimes the church needs to purge its gods every so many years. Sometimes as believers, we need to purge our own gods in our own lives. What are we relying on? Could be innocuous, could be a good thing, but we rely so much on it, and we really allow it that even when we serve the Lord, whatever we're relying on, we have to serve the Lord around it, or through it, or by it. So we need to look at those things in our lives. What's hindering us from making a full effort? from giving our whole heart to him. Put those gods away. We laugh at those primitive cultures because they uh, have these little statues and idols, but ours can be just as bad, if not worse, if you think about it. Verse 6, they poured out the water. Now, this was usually done during the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, commemorating the children of Israel wandering in the wilderness. And we know that while they were in the wilderness, where are you going to get water from? God always miraculously... Uh, provided for water. So part of this feast over the years was the the Jews would pour out water and uh, it would signify God opening up that venue. You know, when you're, I'm thirsty right now, and I'll tell you what, a good drink of water does a body good. 
Mm. H2O. But it also could have been used just to commemorate God's provision. It didn't have to necessarily be on the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, Jesus and John, I love this, uh, on that great feast, John 7 tells us, and they poured out the water, Jesus did a teaching about himself. And uh, in John 7.37, I'll start with, I'll just read three verses. It says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, fast forward thousands of years, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit, whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. There's a lot of this in John's gospel. Can't wait to get to it. In John chapter 4, Jesus speaks to the woman at the well. You know, she, she, goes, she comes from a village and she goes to the community well and she's drawing and Jesus says, give me a drink. And they have this discussion about water. And if I remember reading it correctly, she, he, gives, he makes the transition to her from the water that she really needed to not be parched anymore and maybe bring back to her relatives to the living water, indicative of the Holy Spirit. He who you know, partakes of me will never thirst again. And if I remember the, the account correctly, it does, it does appear that she actually was so excited she went to tell everyone. I don't even think she took the water with her. You know what I'm saying? So, uh, wow, what a transition that he made. I love the Old Testament typologies there. Verse 7. Now, when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel had gathered together at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. So the children of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So the children of Israel repented, fasted, but still... They had, their, they had their sea legs, you know, they, they, had, they were without him for so long, they didn't have a relationship that they had to learn how to walk again as babies. So they kind of relied on Samuel as a, as a type of Christ, as a type of a mediator, because they were so far without him that they had to rebuild that relationship with him again. And what's really sad was, and we'll find out that the pagans had more courage than God's people. And the children of Israel were scared when they should have been confident. The Philistines were arrogant and prideful when they should have been fearful. You think they would have learned the lesson from what we read when they were handling the ark. All those Philistine cities that got afflicted. Sure, word, word got around to the point where the last city said, Oh, no, you don't. You're not bringing that thing here. So the Philistines knew. But they go into battle and they're arrogant, they're prideful. Children of Israel, Israel are scared. It was a weird relationship. It should have been the other way around. We, should, we need to know when we should be courageous, and we need to know when we should be humbled. Sometimes we're arrogant when we should be humble, and sometimes we're fearful when we should be courageous. So it's always good when you know what to be when, and you're in tune with the Spirit there. But Samuel was an intercessor. You see this intercessory prayer, again, a type of Christ. Uh, and the children of Israel were, were looking to him. And it's, I, I kind of laugh because there are some that will say to me, you know, and people I know that aren't even saved, they say, you need to pray for me. And I say, I will, but let me show you how to pray. Because you can, you know, I don't have any special powers. 
uh, the Lord, if you're in the right standing with him, you can have that relationship with him too and he'll hear you. You know, sometimes the, uh, you have to build up that strength, that faith. But when it was time to repent, God allowed it as the bumper sticker. I've seen these bumper stickers. God allows U-turns and that little bumper sticker says so much. Verse 9. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. Now as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. I find that interesting. Whenever God's people are really moving, when God's people are really turning to the Lord, the forces of darkness will seize upon that. It is a time for testing for us, but it's also a time to try to ruin that bond and that relationship. We see Jesus, he had, you know, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, John the Baptist, everybody was inaugurating his ministry. And immediately after that, it says he was driven into the wilderness to be tempted. So wherever the Lord is doing, God is doing a great work, Satan will always be there to try to mess it up. So I want to encourage you with that. But the Lord thundered with a loud thunder upon the Philistines that day and so confused them that they were overcome before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and drove them back as far as below beth Car. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. So Samuel makes the sacrifice. He cries out to the Lord. And Samuel really took the bull by the horns. It's good to be a Samuel. You know, sometimes we can be so caught up in a rut of indecisiveness and then there's just a time when we're really prayed up that we you know trust in the lord and seize the moment samuel was that kind of leader Uh, i think it's going to be interesting meeting these men and women uh in heaven and just i wonder you know maybe we can see it from their perspective you know you read it on a page and in my mind i have a very vivid imagination so when i read this stuff i could see it all in the scene and everything that's going on and you know but I just love it. I just love reading these stories. And they're only in black and white. So imagine when we know all things, when we're with the Father. Uh, This type of faith that Samuel had says, my God hears me and he helps me and I believe in him. And even if everyone else is going to sit around and panic, I'm going to do something. There's a time to sit and wait. There's a time to pray. But there's also a time to move because God is with us. And God loves it when we so believe in him and we so know he can do anything that you know we just go and and just know and if we're in in the right spirit and the right heart that he's going to work miracles now what i noticed here is that the children of israel were completely vulnerable they were coming to a prayer meeting they were coming to a big tent revival so to speak did they bring their weapons probably not at this time even if they had an army it was you know, not, not one of the greatest military. You know, they kept getting invaded by the Philistines. They couldn't keep them out. The Philistines took their land. We'll see later that because of what God does, they're able to reclaim some territory. So um, I, don't, I don't see that they took weapons. I see that they were all together and they were huddled together and they were in prayer. It doesn't say that they were in battle array, you know. Uh, Pastor Anthony was reading, is it Nehemiah with the trowel in one hand and the sword in the other? Completely different story. God empowered them to you know, to work, but also to defend themselves. Here, they're coming to a revival meeting. But I just love this. Sometimes it takes us to be completely vulnerable for the Lord to work in us. Now, 
by a show of hands, how many love being completely vulnerable? Notice my hand isn't up. (laughs) Yeah, that's tough because now you really are in a vulnerable position. Um, But we do see that when we are in a vulnerable position and the Lord works, we know that we can't take the credit for it. Sometimes we're wound too tight and don't give the Lord enough room to work in our lives and he's going to allow us to be vulnerable. So the sacrifice is one of the last things that happens uh, and then it causes God to, you know, he stops the Philistines in the nick of time. In Vietnam, there was a battle called, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the Battle of La Drang, but it was one of the few times that the military has ever called a broken arrow. And what it means is the military was so overrun by the enemy that they needed air support. And the air support was so close that their own men, uh, and in some cases, in that case, some of them were burned by the napalm strikes, the, the enemy was just on top of them, and they're just calling out air support. Broken arrow, broken arrow, they're on top of us. Start sending the, the you know, we, we need help here. I could just picture, and again, maybe it's I watch too many war movies, but I could just picture the children of Israel just, you know, they couldn't get any closer, like emperor penguins, you know, they're, they're here, and they're all trying to, come on, Samuel, hurry up and sacrifice that thing. I can, I can picture, again, it's just my imagination, I can picture the children of Israel looking out and seeing with, with the son of the day, the, the helmets of these massive, some of these guys were massive, like Goliath, these gigantic figures with these helmets shining and these spears and these, the, the big shields, and they're like at a prayer meeting. Samuel, we are in big trouble because if the Lord doesn't work, we are going to be overrun very quickly. You know, it's like one of those, um, you know, adventure movies. It's like you, you got to do something for us. But they, God accepted the offering. Now, it's so cool. If you look at Leviticus 1, you'll see the burnt offering in the Old Testament. And as you look at the burnt offering and you see the gender of the offering and the completely consumed in the sacrifice and the, uh, the way that it paves the way between fellowship and God, you'll be, if you just meditate on Leviticus 1, you'll see the burnt offering is a type of Christ. Is a, Jesus came thousands of years later, but um, you see this over and over again. And there's no atonement for sins. There's no rescue from the flames of hell, from the forces of darkness without a mediator, without a savior. You see that in this offering. In verse 10, it says, The Lord thundered and the Philistines were disoriented. Um, I don't know about you, but you ever been out, and I'm sure you have, in a, like a lightning and thunderstorm? And you kind of know what's coming, and then you hear the first ba-boom. And if you're outside and you're close to that thunderclap, it goes through you. You know, it's, it's frightening. And I could just imagine God just went boom, and, and every Philistine... It went right through them, and they were shocked, disoriented. No doubt, you know, God is powerful. He could have done anything to them. But uh, they were also, you know, it's so funny. Some say, well, you know, so what? It was a thunder. Again, we're talking about God doing this. Uh, But the other thing is that the Philistines were superstitious fools. They had the Ark of the Covenant. They still went back to their old, old gods. They actually ran God out of town. You know, they sent the Ark of the Covenant back to Israel, and they continued business as usual. So as superstitious pagans, uh, maybe they thought that it was, you know, the thunder god or such. But either way, God does uh, disorient them and, uh, you know, he terrifies them. Verse 12, after this is all over, Samuel and, of course, the children of Israel are victorious. He sets up a memorial stone honoring God called Ebenezer. 
I think like you get these names, and well, where'd that come from? Oh, it's in the Bible. Ebenezer means stone of help, and that's one of God's attributes, a helper, a provider, right? a strength. You know, how many of us can remember that the Lord has been good to us? Sometimes we are tempted to whine and complain about our present circumstances, but, you know, the children of Israel, yeah, they set up a bunch of stones, and we don't really get that, but I would say that it's, it is too easy to for, forget that God is our help. And I think the children of Israel really had the right idea there. It was the Jordan River, there was a stone set up here, and then across the Jordan, and as they were passing through, and in different monuments, different battles, they would set up these stones. And uh, I could see the grandchildren saying, hey, Grandpa, what does that stone mean? Oh, let me tell you what God did for us when we crossed the Jordan. You know, see that? It was dry land. So I really love the, the memorials that they set up, and, and I could just see it's, it's like a, a memory jogger. And as, as every time you would pass that memorial, you would know what God did there. What has God done in our life that we set up those stones of, of memorial and remembrance? Or do we just say, you know, like the attitude towards God is, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, I know what happened 10 years ago, but right now, this is my present situation. So I really like that, what they did there with the stones. So the Philistines were in confusion, and this is kind of neat. Philistines, again, in battle array, they're going to slaughter the children of Israel. They had weapons, but the children of Israel had spiritual weapons. And if we are in the right standing with God, and we have the right type of spiritual armor on, evil can't stand against us. Last few verses. Verse 13, so the Philistines were subdued, and they did not come any more into the territory of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. Then the cities which, which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel. From Ekron to Gath, and Israel recovered its territory from the hand of the Philistines. Also, there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. So Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. What kind of a guy is this? All the days of Samuel, the Philistines didn't give the Israelites too much trouble, or they were victorious over them. You see certain men in the Bible uh, that just had this ability to be like a mediator type of person, to to say, Lord, we've, we've sinned, we've been wrong, and I'm going to take the lead. Nehemiah was one of those. Um, you see a lot of these, these figures, these historical figures, but I'm going to take the lead, and, and I think we need to repent. And Samuel was really cool. He was kind of a king before there were the kings. He was a judge. Uh, later in the scripture, when the king, the, the monarchy was so wicked, uh, Josiah was another king, and I named my son after him because I just was so impressed by this guy. Uh, national fast, and God even said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stave off the punishment because of you, because of what you did. And these men and, and were, were smart enough or, or godly enough to make sure that they moved the people to move towards this repentance. So the children of Israel win the battle, they reclaim territory, and uh, the children of Israel acquiesce to Samuel's leadership. You know, <clears throat> a few things. Samuel goes on a circuit. He goes to the different cities. He's dedicated. 
The false shepherd is the one who looks to see what they can get out of ministry, out of religious position, out of a spiritual position. Samuel was a guy who truly understood what it meant to sacrifice himself for others. And again, it wasn't like he could take the train to the different city. And these, there was a trip. You know, it was some of these tri- journeys were difficult journeys. But in a time, especially during the judges, when uh, everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, Samuel took the lead and he led by example. And the last verse, it says, he judged Israel and there he built an altar to the Lord. That says something about Samuel. He built an altar to the Lord. And an altar was a place of remembrance for the individual, where they sacrificed to the Lord, where they made an arrangement in their home, or not in the home, but in their living arrangements, where this was a part of their life, this altar, to sacrifice to the Lord. So it said to everyone visiting or seeing or um, passing through that he's really serious about serving the Lord. And this is a great story, and I love it, and I love to read it, and I love to use my imagination here, but you can really see something in this guy, Samuel, and it's really something that we can all learn from him as we look through it, all the different facets of Samuel's life. And I'm not a very good closer, so let's pray. (laughs) Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you for your word, of course, and... uh, Lord, we thank you for the life of Samuel.